parents need to gift their children the gift of letting their children know that they believe in their children, that their children are competent, and that they are confident the children will figure it out. You can be there as a sounding board. You can be there to help them in an emergency, but Mm -hmm. they're adults. That's it. Will you outlast your money? Do you stay awake at night worrying about providing for your family? Are you making the right decisions about your investments? There are many life-changing decisions that arise and questions you want answered when going through divorce or after you've received your settlement. This is the Financially Ever After podcast, where you'll hear stories of women like you and get advice from the industry's top professionals. Here's your award-winning and nationally recognized host, Stacey Francis. For a lot of women, their biggest concern, understandably, going through divorce is, am I going to be financially okay? And their second concern is that for their kids, wanting to make sure that their kids are launched financially and are able to make good decisions and support themselves. Well, our special guest today, Bonnie Rebel, is the author of Launching Financial Grownups. Live your richest life by helping your almost adult kids become everyday money smart. She is a financial literacy advocate and the host of Money Tips for Financial Grownups podcast, as well as the founder of grownupgear.com. Bobby has been in the media and an educator throughout all of her life, working with global business news giants such as Reuters, CNBC, CNN, as well as PBS. In addition to helping you learn how to launch your children to be financially successful as young and older adults, Bobby shares some very wise advice for all of you to make sure you're financially successful and secure after a divorce. You see, Bobby herself went through a divorce when she was only 30 years old and shares her experience of how she got herself on financial track and how she was able to recognize and eventually married her husband, what she calls as her forever husband. She shares how money was part of the reason her first marriage didn't work and how she is able to work successfully with her second husband, not only just the two of them, but also raising stepchildren and their own child as well. This is a podcast for you if you care about your financial future and you care about that of your kids. Great tips and make sure you stay to the end where you can find out how you can get her book, listen into our podcast and more resources. Thank you for joining Financially Ever After. Well, Bobby, it's great to have you here. And, you know, I'd love for you just to say hi. And I love what you're doing with launching financial grownups. I have two kids, which my goal is to be them to be financial grownups. But I'd love to just hear from you, like, what brought you to launching that, you know, some of your background and some of the work that you're doing today. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on your podcast, even though I'm not currently going through a tough time, I am someone that did survive and thrive after divorce. And there's so much amazing and relatable information in all of your episodes. So thank you for doing what you do. I am now the mom in a blended family. So I have my, I call him my forever husband, not my second, my forever husband. And he came with two bonus babies who are now 25 and 23. And we have a son together who is 15 and a freshman in high school. And the kids inspired the book that you so kindly mentioned, which is Launching Financial Grownups. 
It is for parents of what I call almost adults. Sometimes people call them emerging adults, but they're basically our children that are between ages 16 and 26. And I pick those ranges because 16 is a common age for kids to kind of have their own spending money that they're earning. So earned income for anyone who can wants to talk about Roth IRAs and such. And then 26 is basically an artificial age for sort of when you're supposed to be on your own. It used to be a lot younger, but thanks to the Affordable Care Act, we can keep our kids on our health insurance and often have other financial ties to them until about age 26. So I kind of picked that as the arbitrary upper limit of the ages that I cover in the book. But the idea being by that time, we really want them to be okay on their own financially if we weren't there. And it's not cut and dry. Every situation is different. Every kid is different. Everyone has different resources, but it's meant to be a general framework. And what inspired you to write this book, which FYI, my six-year-old son, (laughs) is this something he can read or is this something I should be reading or both of us? Well, everyone can read it, but the book is written for parents. And the reason I wrote it for parents is because ultimately parents are these stakeholders for our children's financial lives. It's very nice that we all point fingers at other people and other institutions like schools that should be teaching our children about money. But at the end of the day, even if that were happening, which it's generally not, they're not stakeholders. They can say what they want to say, but it's academic. It's numbers on a board. And you can say numbers on a board and tell them to do things, but it's not the same as sitting side by side with a kid and helping them buy their first insurance for their first rental that they've got with roommates and figuring out, well, who's actually going to put their name on the lease and who's going to have what insurance and what bills are we going to split? The real world stuff, the nitty gritty, boring, but actually kind of interesting and definitely challenging stuff that is our everyday financial lives. So this is very much about everyday money smarts. And that's why that's in the subtitle of the book as well, because it's really about every day. You know, and Bobby, you bring up such a good point about wanting our kids to be launched financially in a healthy way. And I know a lot of the women who are listening right now want to make sure that their kids don't make the same financial mistakes they have. You know, if we only knew what we know about our finances now today, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, whatever number that is. And for a lot of the women that are listening right now, finances are a really big part of the thing they need to think about. Because if you're going through a divorce, if you're thinking about a divorce, all of a sudden, understanding what you have, what you don't have, how this divorce might impact your financial future becomes really a front and center topic that you have to think about. It is. And I think it's important to maintain a balance depending on your kid's age, their maturity, their ability to understand. And obviously with a divorce, there's a lot of emotion involved, a lot of disruption of their life, but it's okay to be appropriately vulnerable and say, everything's going to be okay, but it might not be the same. And just understanding that is so important. I've had so many friends because I was divorced very young. I was divorced by 30. So many of my friends have come to me and I've had relatives and, and my husband was divorced. We're both a second marriage. I have seen so much and it is really hard for kids because things do change. And especially when you have parents that may have very different income streams going forward, different assets, it can be really complicated. And so it's important to not avoid the topic, but actually acknowledge that it's out there and not just brush it under the rug. That said, I think my biggest observation for my friends, let's say, and obviously there's some people very close to me, but we're not going to name names out of respect to them. 
that I've been frustrated with because sometimes you focus so much on getting even and getting, you know, the famous line in the first wives club where Ivana Trump says, don't get even, get everything. Okay, fine. But at a certain point, and yes, you should get everything you're entitled to and advocate for yourself. Absolutely. But at the end of the day, at a certain point, the papers are signed and it's you and it's your life. And I had a friend who used to say, don't even ask for alimony. No, get everything you can. You could always not use it and put it away for later. That's fine. But think about what is your income stream? What are your resources going to be going forward? Because so often we're so focused on getting a number that we're not using it to train to be something. So for example, in one case, this soon-to-be ex-wife was so focused on getting even and getting the actual assets that I kept saying, well, why, why not ask for them to pay for you to get an advanced degree in something where you can earn money and build? In this case, I thought the person was very talented as a chef. I thought, get a cooking degree, go to school, learn the business of catering and set up a catering company. Whatever your passion is, have your ex as part of the divorce set you up for success so you can create your own launch yourself, I guess, is what I'm actually saying, Stacey, is, you know, we talk about launching financial grownups. If you haven't been the wage earner, figure out a way to launch yourself into mm -hmm. your own career. Because at the end of the day, I think you're the expert in this, but the days of alimony till the end of time are gone. And yeah, it's on you in the end, like yeah. it or not. That's just the way it is. And I think that's also good modeling for your children that, yeah. It's not that you shouldn't get every penny you're entitled to and every penny for your children and collect it because receivables yeah. can be a thing, but also live your own life. Mm -hmm. This is also mm -hmm. an opportunity. When I got divorced, I did not have children. So it was much less complicated, but people would expect me to be so sad all the time. And my sadness really came from the time leading up to the divorce. And once I was divorced, I felt this weight off my shoulder. I looked up. And I got a new life and a second chance and I could define that life. And it was hard at first because people would say, oh, have you ever been to this country? Have you been to this trip? And it was very hard to not include my ex because I'd been with him for seven years, but that will pass. And then you yeah. can you just yeah. be you and not be obsessed with the past. Yeah. You know, and I love how you say launching our children, but also launching ourselves because for a good number of women, they had to step back in their career or mm -hmm. they know that's what was really needed for the family or they wanted to, whatever it had to be. And now they're in a place where they need to kind of revamp it and reignite. And having the courage to do that, I think is really powerful. And you've been such a great example too. I mean, you've had a phenomenal career in media as a consultant, as a speaker, as an author you really walk your talk and you talk about money. And with that, I'm really interested. So was money a factor in your first marriage not working? And if so, what did that look like? Money is, I believe, always a factor because it drives so much of our daily lives and our long-term planning of our lives. It was complicated because we met in a circumstance where well, we met in the Hamptons. So it's a very yeah. nice place. It's a fancy resortish place. And then we then had what's called the Hamptons share, meaning four couples rented a house for the summer. And we, we lived a very nice sort of lifestyle. And I'm putting quotation marks up, you know, for everyone listening. And so I had the idea that we wanted an aspirational life that we wanted to be comfortable upper middle class. And once we were married, he very much, he had some economic difficulties. And it became a burden. It became something very negative that he felt that I wanted the lifestyle that we had when we were dating. 
And he was very uncomfortable with that. He felt that he wanted something in his mind was that was more authentic. And so we were really at odds about spending to the point where he wouldn't let me buy a newspaper. He felt it was wasteful to spend $4. We should take it out of the trash. If you want a coffee out on the street, you should actually go home and have it. And of course you should have, you shouldn't spend all your money on coffees, but if you're out and you want a coffee, you know, and these were things that were in our budget that we could afford. We had very low overhead because I owned my apartment outright, which I thank my father and mother for setting me up. They didn't buy it for me, but they helped me with the idea. And and obviously there was some support at the beginning, but the idea that I owned the apartment as a woman really set me up for a lot of freedom to be able to leave because I had that economic resource. So that's why I, I say that, but we had very low overhead and yet he was really just getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and tighter and tighter with the budgets and controlling with the budgets. So he was using money to control me, even though it was sort of an artificial lack of resources. We actually had plenty of money. So it just became a lot of fighting about money and how Mm -hmm. we were going to use it and the kind of life that we wanted. My husband and I now, we did choose, and there's some you know specific reasons why, but we did choose to live in Manhattan. We did choose to live in a way that we are children can go to private school. And we really wanted that lifestyle. And as you said, I'm two income couple. We work very hard and that is what we value. I didn't want to commute. I grew up with a father who wasn't home as much as he wanted to be because he was commuting. So I would call it, you know, city poor. I'm like, I don't care how small an apartment we need to live in. I want to live in New York city because I want to be able to walk three blocks or some walk to school. I want my kid to walk to school. I wanted those conveniences. And he felt very differently. And this was a big clash of just how we were going to live our lives. And it was very sad and it it got really tough. And I will tell you, I'm involved in in an organization called JWI, Jewish Women's International. And one thing that they do is they give women who are, and this is just a general statement, I'm not talking about my marriage, but women who are in abusive situations, especially when the men are controlling your money and that prevents women from leaving unhappy relationships, they do provide resources. So that's Jewish Women International. And it's not, they'll provide resources, whatever religion you are. And I am very involved in that. And I think it's really important that we talk about the financial aspect of people staying in relationships that they don't want to be in. It's a very tough situation these days. It's something that I don't think we hear about enough. Yeah, we don't. And, you know, my grandmother was one of those women where there was financial control. She felt financially trapped. She never left. And her life would have been so much better had she. And so we do see that. And when you left and then now you are with your forever husband, how did you recover from that loss of a dream of what yeah. you thought that your identity, mar- right? And their, your identity and in some ways loss of trust because you married someone who then kind of changed throughout that process or, or maybe they were there, but they weren't showing their true authentic self. How did you heal yourself? And then how did you know when you saw your forever husband of this is the right one? Because I feel like there's a worry of like, okay, the first time didn't I didn't get it right. Is there ever hope for me? Yeah, I see that. And it, and it is really hard. And I think it's important to take some time to yourself to really think about what is important to you and to have common values. That doesn't mean you're going to just, you're going to agree on every financial decision, but you have to want the same kinds of things. So it's not about wanting a specific thing, but it's about wanting to spend your money in certain ways. And as I alluded to, and it's weird because I've caught myself doing it in an apologetic way, but we really prioritize being present for our children. That's why we wanted to be somewhere where we could be physically close where we work because this work from home is a very new thing. Wasn't around when we made that decision. So I wanted to almost any cost, 
not have to miss my children's life milestones because I wanted to work. And I, it was important for me to have my own money. And then we also really value education. And we've spent a lot of our resources on education in different ways, including the private schools that we felt were the best fit for our children and subsequently college for two of the three, one still in high school. So I, I think that I was able to take a step back on that. Also, I came to a lot of it through the last year of my marriage because it did take me a very long time to leave. And I would give people that advice that sometimes the first moment you say it out loud, which was after that year, when I started telling people, I got so much support and hugs and love. And I kind of wish I'd done it a year earlier. I was embarrassed to leave. I felt people would see me as a failure. So I let it drag on longer than it should have mm -hmm. instead of telling people and allowing people to help. Because when you are suffering in a relationship, sometimes the smart thing to do, because sometimes things are just the season and sometimes marriages go through ups and downs and they do work out. So you don't want to be telling people until you've really kind of made a decision. Yeah. But once you've made the decision, letting people in and being vulnerable can really help the healing process and really help you have the strength to kind of keep going. I also think it was important because I was in such a couple's world because so I got, I was with my ex-husband in my early twenties, divorced by 30. But then when I came out, everyone was married. Everyone else was newlywed basically in my social circle. And so I did ask people, I said, introduce me not just to men to date, but other women. And I yeah. think that's so important to have not just a wing woman to go out to meet guys. Now we obviously have online dating, so it's a little bit different, but just other women, whether they're divorced mm -hmm. or not, depending on what your life stage is, but people that can relate to you and that you can spend time with where you're, it's fine to be out as in addition to a couple of course, but it's also nice to just be out with women and have women friends and support that way. And I think that should not be diminished, the importance of that. And I also was lucky I had really great family, which not everyone has that as a resource. And I did at age 30, move in with my parents, by the way. And there's no shame in that. I moved in with them. I thought it would be for a few months. It was not for financial reasons. I owned my apartment, could have stayed mm -hmm. there, but I sold it. I felt it was too many memories of a bad marriage. So I sold it, I put the money in the bank and lived with my mom and dad for what turned out to be a year. Mm -hmm. It was expected to be shorter. There were some other things going on. So it did take me a year, but it wasn't even a financial decision. It was just just needed to be with my mom and dad. And granted, they did yeah. live in New York City, a block from where I was living. So it wasn't it wasn't like I moved back to a different state or something like that where it was so disruptive to my life. But it's okay to be vulnerable. And the example in my case was living with your parents, but take a step back and don't worry about people judging. Yeah. Oh, she's 30 and living with her parents. Oh my goodness, what's going on? No, I'm living with my parents because I wanted the emotional support. And it was kind of nice for someone to make sure I got home at night and someone yeah. to be waiting for me and someone to eat dinner with. And it took a yeah. lot of the sadness away because you're, it's kind of sad if you're alone suddenly, especially if you have, I've heard from friends, if you have kids and then the first time your ex has the kids, you're just like, home. oh, I know. Right. Yeah. I just love that you're being vulnerable and authentic of sharing. Like, this is what I needed to do. This was yeah. what was right for me. And who cares what other people think or don't think you do what's right for you. We have this one amazing, precious life, and you've really blazed a path to show how you can recover and move on and have a great life. And talking about a great life, you're remarried. You have yes. a 60 year old son that you had with your current 15. husband and 15, 15, 15, 15, and then two kids in college from his previous marriage. I know that there were pieces, finances with your 
previous marriage where you didn't agree. But how has it now been in a blended family? Are there other issues that you have to think about that maybe you didn't you know, anticipate when you first met him? It's very complicated. Blended families are complicated on many levels. Now, it's a little bit simpler in our case because I did not come with children. So for example, you know, when there was visitation, when the kids were younger, it was at least one way. Because I know some people are, if you're in a blended family, you're coordinating it on two sides and that can really yeah. be chaotic. And in our case, it was also simplified by the fact that after a tumultuous year or two, and everyone could just use your imagination to fill in the blank what was going on, the children did reside only with us. And while that was really unexpected on my part, because the plan was for them to live with their biological mother who had been a stay-at-home mom, she now lives in a different state in a different part of the country, raising them full-time here was simpler financially because, and I, I bring it back to financial because this is a financial show, but obviously all the other things too, we just kind of did it all. So mm -hmm. that made it simpler. And so I did have to do suddenly the paperwork for all of them. That's one of the reasons. So I used the last name Rebel for work, but I did change my legal last name to my husband's last name and the kid's last name. The real impetus for that was all of these doctor's appointments and all of the things, the everyday life stuff that had to be done as the lead parent, the lead parent, I say, versus their biological mother. I was the one taking them to the dentist, to the doctor, to the school meetings. I was the one with the college counselor, with my husband. I want to say fully, my husband's fully involved. I'm just saying that if you go and you have a different last name from your stepchildren and you go to a doctor, it's going to be much more complicated. So I did change my name and I did have to do all the things, but it is much less challenging if you just know that you're the one that has to fill out. I mean, there's just so many forms, Stacey. There's just so yeah. many forms oh, no, when you have it. three children, yeah, camp forms, yeah. school forms, doctor's yeah. forms, sports team forms. I mean, it's the forms are just like a whole second job. And so it's easier if you can just allocate one person does all that, it does make it logistically easier. Yeah. So it was easier, yeah. although probably more expensive that we just, we paid all the bills. Yeah. Basically. No, I get in, it. I in get terms it. of the real time. Yeah. And tell me, so how have you been able to stay on the same page with your husband? Do you guys have financial date nights? Like, how does that work? What does a healthy relationship look like between a couple that can talk about money in a respectful and kind way? Well, we do now talk about money in a respectful and kind way. And actually, I would say we always did talk about it that way. We agree more now than we used to, but we still have disagreements. What I want to say people should focus on is to pick your battles very carefully. You may not agree with the fact that your husband in the moment, maybe let's say, and this is not necessarily to us, but just as an example, your husband agreed to pay for a new phone upgrade for one of the kids. Pick your battles. Don't say anything yeah. in front of the kid. Just say to them, can you check with me next time? And remember, kids are kids, whether it's blended family or not. I mean, they will play you against each other time after time and you will get suckered. So it's the way to avoid that and watch each other's back is to always say, I have to check with the other parent, no matter what yeah. the situation is. And we've yeah, gotten yeah. better at that. It's a process. This doesn't happen overnight, Stacey. We're getting better at it because they kids can be really manipulative. There are tons yeah. of times, especially as a stepmother, that when you're trying to make sure the kids like you, especially when they're young and it's new, they can absolutely manipulate you and get you to do things that their dad said no to. And there could be a very good reason they said no, and you don't know anything about that. 
and it can get you in a lot of trouble. So it really serves you to have the conversations privately. Now we can kind of give each other a look and we're pretty much in sync on almost everything that comes up with respect to the kids. And so it's gotten a lot smoother, but that's with every relationship. That's just time and learning what you're going to fight them on and what you're not. We're going to, we're up for a new car at some time in the next couple of years. I'm like, it's all you. I don't care. I just need a place. I I don't care. Like, you know, you're 55 years old, buy the car you want, you know, within, within what we can afford, you know, you, I don't care, but if it's something else, I'm going to feel very strongly about the new chandelier in the living room. Yep. Yeah. No, I get it. And that's win on that one. Yeah. And that's really smart. And I love, you know, that those big things you come together and and figure out. So I want to come back to the book that you wrote, Launching, you know, Financial Grownups. When we think about launching kids, we tend to think like 15, 16, 17, 18, like getting them off to college and having them be successful. But a good number of the women that we work with are struggling to launch their, their young or let's be honest, not so young adults. and how do you deal with that when you have someone that's 27, 28, 29, and not someone that's just coming home because they're getting a new job in New York and they need to kind of save up a little bit to get an apartment in a, a few months or, or a year, but someone that has become dependent on the quote unquote handouts from mom yeah. or dad or mom and dad. Ultimately, at that age, when you're talking about late 20s, it is a parental problem if you are still supporting them. And I'm going to put it on the parents at that point. I have never heard anyone say this. So I want you to say it again. I want you to say it again. It's really powerful. It is a parental problem. Parents need to gift their children the gift of letting their children know that they believe in their children, that their children are competent and that they are confident the children will figure it out. You can be there as a sounding board. You can be there to help them in an emergency but mm-hmm. they're adults. That's it. And my yeah. book goes to age 26. You were talking about 18. I thought you were going to ask me about what about between 18 and 26. And the book is a very gentle book. I don't talk about cutting kids off. I talk about yeah. figuring out strategic subsidies. Like for example, now I have a 23 year old, he's got a job, but he's living right free at home. And we just went through the math with him. We made him look at all of the health insurance plans that are available through his job. And we went through them. We went through showing him what our plan costs to keep him on our plan. So he's aware. And we said, for this year, we're going to pay the premium for your health insurance on your portion of our plan. We're making him aware of what health insurance costs. That's our job as parents. We are in the business of creating grownups and you have a grown up at 27. I'm sorry. That's it. Yeah. You know, and and I love, I love (laughs) the, you know, we're in the business of creating grownups because I will tell you that it's one of the biggest disservices I see. There are many reasons it happens, but sometimes we will see it where there's been a divorce. Mm-hmm. One person is feeling guilty about the divorce. And so continuing to let that child have X, Y, and Z. But it becomes really ugly when, and I have a client like this now, a 40-year-old who still can't hold down a job, still reaching out to mom for money and has really, he's ruined his life. And mom mm-hmm. has not helped because you know what? Right. Mom has always been there. And unfortunately, now mom's financial situation is such that she now is looking Mm -hmm. at her golden years, unsure how she's going to afford it. And so having to have the conversation at age 65, you're going to have to go back to work because you keep on gifting your son all this money. 
And it's the tune of tens of thousands, let's be honest, actually for her hundreds of thousands of dollars. This is why I wrote the book, because the real pain point is our retirement. And if you oversubsidize your children at a level where it's hurting your future, not only are you hurting yourself, you're hurting them because number one, the money is going to stop coming to them, like it or not. And they have not learned how to be financial grownups and you need them to support you and they can't do that either. So now you have a double problem. So you're not helping anyone. And the best thing you can do is really, if you want to help your kids, tell them that they need to pay for all of their needs first and you'll pay for the wants when you can. And that's a Mm -hmm. flip on what so many financial advisors tell people. We always say, focus on what you need, not your wants. With parents, I say, make sure your kids can pay for their needs on their own and then treat them to dinner. Yeah, pay for the family vacation. That's fine. Buy them a cute outfit for their new job. No problem. But don't pay their rent because if their rent has to be subsidized at age 40, they are living a lifestyle that they should not be living. And we as parents have to let them live within their means. If they chose a profession that doesn't pay enough or they're not doing the things they need to be doing to maintain a job, which is often as simple as show up on time and perform the duties as required by the job. We have a very strong job market right now. It's not hard to be employed. So something's up and the kid probably needs a lot of tough love as does the parent. And you have to step back and you're not doing yourself or your kid any favors by subsidizing a 40-year-old. They're living a life that they can't afford at that Mm -hmm. point. It's very different from subsidizing a 23-year-old who you want, in our case, for example, the older child lived at home for two years and we have a whole podcast episode on this. And you're going to be on my podcast, by the way, which is Money Tips for Financial Grownups. One of our recent episodes featured Ashley, my stepdaughter, talking about how she lived at home. It was she felt a little embarrassed, but she saved money relentlessly for two years to have a financial foundation and to buy her own apartment that had a purpose. It had strategy. Yes, she paid no rent. Yes, she had all her meals paid for. Yes, we paid for her phone, no cable bills, all the things but it was focused. And I was in and there looking at her bank account with her the whole way and cheering her on. And look at her and now she has her own home. Bobby, I yes. cannot thank you so much enough for, for being here, for sharing your story. Also giving women kind of light at the end of the tunnel, right? Because sometimes we don't see that when we're going through the mess of, of in the crap of getting a divorce, of just knowing that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And you know, after our worries, our financial worries for ourselves, our second financial worry is for our kids. And you've just done such a brilliant job talking about how we can launch them successfully. So all of you listening, and we're going to have in the show notes, launching financial grownups. We will have that in the show notes. We'll have a link also, Bobby, to your website, but how can our listeners get a hold of you? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I truly appreciate that. And I hope that I inspire a lot of women to make the tough choices, but also to invest in themselves. If you do have the resources, please think carefully about how you will support yourself in an ongoing way. I just can't stress enough how important it is not to just focus on the past, but to focus on the opportunity you have at hand. People used to say, oh, I'm so sorry that this didn't work out. I said, I'm so excited about what's next. And I really hope people will embrace that. The best way to reach me realistically is through social media. DM me on Instagram at bobbyrebel one That's B-O-B-B-I-R-E-B-E-L-L, the number one. I'm on Twitter, just at Bobby Rebel. I'm also 
doing my best as a Gen Xer on TikTok. And please subscribe to my newsletter, which you can uh, click the button right on my website, which is just my name, bobbyrebell.com. And please, if you do pick up a copy of Launching Financial Grownups and you enjoy it, please leave a review on Amazon for me. And check out my podcast, Money Tips for Financial Grownups, which Stacey will be a guest on very soon. Love it. Thank you. And for all of you listening, we'll have a link to the book and that all, then you can leave a quick review on Amazon and we'll also have a link to your podcast too. So Bobby, I can't thank you enough. Have a great day and thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. I love everything you're doing. Oh, thank you. Thank you for joining us today at Financially Ever After. I have to say that Bobby really was such a fantastic guest, not only because of the content of how we can raise money smart kids to be successful, financially successful adults and financially responsible adults, but also the tools and tips that we as women need to know to make sure that we have, are financially secure and that we're making good decisions and investing in ourselves to have the life that we really want. And Bobby also shares that there is definitely a light at the end of the tunnel, you know, not having the easiest divorce and finding herself alone and, you know, really taking that time to invest in herself and to help her relaunch into the world. It just makes my heart so happy to see women who have gone through a really difficult time find their forever person, or maybe it's not their forever person, but they're forever happy. And I have to say that Bonnie definitely has shown us that that is very possible. Thank you again for joining in to, for Financially Ever After. And if you have any questions, please do reach out. I'm here as a sounding board. If you have questions about your settlements, questions about your investments, should I be sustaining these types of losses in the market? Should I be seeing higher gains? Any of those questions, just reach out. It's part of the, my job that I love the most. And you can reach me at Stacy S-T-A-C-Y, at francisfinancial.com, or you can go to our website to www dot francisfinancial.com. Thank you. And we'll be seeing you in two weeks.